I was in a chair from which I could not uh, get up. We had been in Nigeria for uh, a few weeks, and, um, and life was hard. Electricity was rare. Water was almost as rare. You wouldn't believe how we rationed water. Our daughter Brennan contracted malaria uh, just a few days into uh, our time in Nigeria. Language study was humiliating, and, um, and the, the shock of a new culture was debilitating. Now, if you've been around a while, you know that we love Nigeria, still miss Nigeria. We, I got through that proverbial wall of culture shock, and on the other side was a wonderful life. But I became depressed um, during those first few weeks in Nigeria. And the reason I say it was depression is because I felt it not only emotionally, but I felt it physically. I remember, uh, I can still feel the cold, uh, the concrete floor beneath my feet when sitting in a chair, not even a comfortable chair, and our oldest kids, they were five and three at the time, Landon and Brennan, saying, Daddy, come out and play. Landon loved to chase, chase the goats. Goats wandered freely in our uh, neighborhood, and he liked to chase them. They just wanted their daddy to go play. And I couldn't get up out of the chair. They call that situational depression, meaning it's a depression that uh, is brought on by a situation, by something bad that has happened. There is a clinical depression that's brought on by something physical or chemical, usually associated with a a chemical imbalance in the brain. But for whatever reason people experience depression, it is hard to get up. So this morning I want to talk to people who find it hard to get up. If you've never experienced depression or if you are not now, you, you know what it is to have a broken heart. For some of you, it's not depression or even heartbreak. It's anxiety. It's, it's grief. It's, it's a deep sense of loss from which you, are, you have not recovered, and you're finding it hard to get up. So people, by television, a moment ago, I stood over here and welcomed, as I always do our television folks, I said, there may be somebody who's watching today still in your pajamas because you don't physically have the ability to, to get up. So I want to talk about getting up. Elijah, God said to Elijah under the broom tree, get up. I want to talk about this for a couple of reasons. One, next Sunday we're going to begin our five weeks of our public campaign called Generations. And it's going to be like a five-week pep rally. And I mean that in the best sense of the word. We're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about multiple generations. We're going to talk about the future. And, and, And it is going to be a high energy and high vision. And I don't, frankly, I don't want people to, um, to, to feel left out or left behind. It's funny, this, Im- this, this week I had this image of the pep rally in my mind, and I imagined a poor guy on the way to the pep rally Friday afternoon in high school, and his, his girlfriend breaks, with, uh, breaks up with him on the way to the pep rally. So he's sitting there at the pep rally, and everybody else is excited about the game that night, and he's brokenhearted. I, because I know that there are lots of people who, who struggle. I, I hear enough stories and I have enough conversations to know that heartache and, and, and anxiety and sadness and even depression are, uh, are so pervasive that I wanted before we begin our five-week pep rally to, 
to talk to people who are having a hard time getting uh, up. And you can, uh, you can get up. When Elijah was under the tree, God spoke to him through an angel. Twice, uh, God told Elijah, get up. Some of you have been there on uh, the morning after surgery. You, you had surgery the day before, and the, the next morning, the nurse comes in and says, okay, get up. You, you've looked at them like they had two heads, haven't you? Like, you're kidding me. I had, I had bypass surgery yesterday. I had a major joint replaced yesterday, and you want me to, to get up. It happened to me. You know, two years ago, I had major surgery. You know what the definition of major surgery is? Surgery that happens to me. That's major surgery. And I had major surgery on my knee, and the next morning, it wasn't a nurse. It was an occupational therapist who came and said, get up. She had some uh, crutches with her. She needed to know that I, I couldn't put weight on my knee for eight weeks. She needed, needed to know before they released me that I knew how to use crutches. So we went down the hall, and that was a breeze. All of us have played with crutches. I went down the hall, and that wasn't a problem. And then she did uh, the oddest thing. She opened the door to the stairwell and said, we're going to go up the stairs. I expressed my hesitation. Uh, Carrie was there, what, uh, absolutely no help over there just uh, watching. <laughs> But she convinced me to go up the stairs. And, I, and, and then, you know, I thought if I fall going up the stairs, it won't be the end of the world. And then, but then we got to the top of the stairs, and she did an, an even more odd thing. She turned me around and said, we're going back down. I don't know how I thought we'd get back down. Maybe I thought we'd take the elevator back down. But I didn't dream that on the morning after, did I mention it was major surgery that I'd had? <laughs> That on the morning after major surgery, she'd come in and say, get up, we're going to go up the stairs, and then we're going to come back down the stairs. And I was scared. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke. I thought, I, I can't go down those stairs. And she said, I've got you. But healthcare professionals know you can't lie there and wait for your healing. You have to participate in the healing process. And part of that is, is choosing even when it's hard to get up. So let's talk about getting up. I don't have five you know, easy steps to a happy life or you know, the 10 keys to happiness and laughter. I don't have the, the four secrets to life with no problems. I don't have that. But there are some wonderful stories from the book of uh, the story of Elijah we're going to talk about getting up. I, I know that um, you, you may need help getting up. That's why I love the fact that the Vine Counseling Center has a, an office here. We refer people to the Vine Counseling Center, believing that there are hurts that only God can heal, but believing also that he uses people who are trained and gifted. And so we refer, if people can't afford it, we help pay for the, that counseling because we believe in that. We also know that, that sometimes it takes even more than counseling some, the, the brain is a complex organ, and, and it doesn't always, sometimes the wiring gets off. And, and so we do believe that there's times when, when medication is helpful. And let me say, as, and I'm not a healthcare professional, you know that, but I, I do, it does feel, I'll just say it feels to me sometimes like we rush too quickly to medicine, that maybe we're medicating our problem instead of dealing with our problem. On the other hand, it, I, have a, I have hypothyroidism, which just means that 
my thyroid doesn't produce enough. I think it's thyroxine. Well, I take a little gray pill every morning uh, just to kind of synthetically produce that, that chemical that my thyroid doesn't naturally produce. But your brain is a lot more complex than my thyroid. And, and since I didn't feel badly telling you that my thyroid doesn't produce enough of the right chemical, and since you didn't feel badly about me, I hope, when I confess that I suffer from the heartbreak of hypothyroidism, I hope you wouldn't be embarrassed to say, you know, this, this complex organ that is my brain isn't producing enough serotonin, and I would hope that when you say that, people wouldn't feel any differently about you than you do about me because of my hypothyroidism. So we believe sometimes you need help getting up, but we believe you can get up. We believe it is possible. It might take a while. It, may take, it might take a long while, but we believe that like Elijah, you can get up. So let's look at, the, I don't, again, I don't have keys or steps or secrets to happiness, but there are three truths from the story of Elijah I think are helpful to people who are having a hard time uh, getting up. The first is that good people who have seen God do good things, sometimes end up under the broom tree. Elijah, in, in 1 Kings 17, by the way, the Bible scholars tell us that the story, the, the time of Elijah was a time when miracles were at the forefront of what God is doing in the world. So in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah is down by the brook and ravens bring him uh, bread and meat better than Domino's pizza delivery, better than Grubhub, better than the Blue Apron and all those pre-arranged meals that are so popular now. The ravens brought to his campsite at the brook, brought him bread and meat. Later in in chapter 17, he went to board at the home of a widow, and they had a big uh, jar of flour and a jug of oil, of lamp oil, and no matter how how much bread they made, and no matter how long they burned the lamp, the, the flour didn't run out, and the oil didn't run out, it just kept multiplying. Later in chapter 17, uh, he was, um, well, my thyroid's not producing the third thing that happened in, in chapter 17. So it was the oil, or the ravens, and the, oh, okay, so at the widow's, the widow's uh, son, where he's boarding, the widow's son died. And Elijah, so he prayed for the boy, he laid, he stretched out his body over the dead body of that boy, and he called out to God, and God healed that boy, that boy got up. All three in chapter 17. Chapter 18, even more dramatic, up on the top of Mount Carmel, he had a contest with 450 prophets of Baal. Baal simply means false gods. So he had, he had a contest with them, and they pleaded, and they hollered, and they whined, and they cried, and prayed for Baal to send down fire, and didn't even get a spark. And then Elijah prayed, and God rained down fire from heaven, lapped up this water-soaked bull. And you'd think after... The ravens and the, all, those, all those, you know, the, the, the jar and the pot that didn't run dry and the boy coming back to life and God raining fire down from heaven. You'd think Elijah would never have another problem. But in chapter 19, just the very next chapter, a, a woman, a mere mortal said, I'm going to kill you. Now, uh, she was the queen, granted, and her name was Jezebel, which strikes fear into the hearts of mere mortals. But she said, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah thought... It's like he forgot all those good things that had happened. And he was a good man. And he ended up saying, I've had enough. 
take my life. Don't miss that. Elijah wanted to die. Maybe he didn't have the courage, if you will, to, he didn't have the grit to, yet to take his life, but he, he said, Lord, just take me. I'm done. I don't want any more. Some of you are having a hard time getting up and you're, you're compounding your grief and your loss or your depression because you're heaping upon yourself guilt and shame because you think if I were good, if I were a good Christian, I wouldn't feel this way. And that's not true. Good people who've seen God do good things still end up under the broom tree, having a hard time getting up. That's the first thing. The second thing from the story of Elijah is that um, you are not alone. Three times, had we read the entire story of that section of Elijah's life, three times under the broom tree, and then in the cave, he says to God, I am alone. Well, he was not. He, he had a short memory. Obadiah, two chapters earlier, had said, there are seven, I mean, excuse me, there are a hundred prophets like you, and I'm keeping them, I'm protecting them because I'm afraid of what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel might do to them. So I'm keeping them protected so that they don't disappear. And then when one time God said, or Elijah said to God, I'm alone, God said, I've got 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed their knees to Baal. They are faithful. You are not alone, Elijah. But if you're, if you're under the broom tree, if you're having a hard time getting up, living under the cloud of depression or sadness, you feel alone. And it probably doesn't help when you come to church. Because everybody, now in some, in some Sunday school classes or small groups or prayer groups, we share our burdens. But just to come and participate at a kind of the surface level, man, everything, everybody seems like they're so, they've got it all together, and, and you feel alone in your, in your darkness. When we lived in uh, Virginia, one of the things that Virginians are proud of is the Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay, and it is a breathtaking place. Went fishing there only once, but fell in love with the Chesapeake Bay. It's beautiful. But I, the stories began to circulate that the bay was in trouble, that there was what they call bad water. And so uh, oysters were showing up dead. So an oyster expert scuba dived uh, to the, down beneath in the Chesapeake Bay. The bottom was black, he said. Oysters were dead. Even barnacles and algae were dead. Reefs are suffocating under a blanket of bad water. The expert continued, it seems like it's not on people's radar screens because everything looks good on top. You come to church and everything looks good on top. If you only knew. Sometimes I wish without using names we could just publish stories from around us, from among us. Somebody would say, I didn't know there was another family whose adult child is a prodigal. I didn't know that there's somebody who's having a hard time getting over the death of their spouse. I didn't know. I didn't know. Because on the surface, everything looks so good. But, but if you look underneath, there is a lot of hurt. And you are not alone. Even good people who've seen God do good things end up under the broom tree having a hard time to get up. Number two, you are not alone. And then the third thing, you have things to do. 1 Kings 19, 15, God said, go back the way you came. And on that way, 
He had three things to do. He had to find a king. Elijah did. Elijah in the story. Elijah had to find a king for Aram. He had to find a king for Israel. And he had to find a successor for himself. And that was Elisha. He still had things to do. So God said, get up. I got the most wonderful phone call two weeks ago. Maybe it was three weeks ago from a lady who worships with us on television. She said, thank you for telling that story about that football player that ran the wrong way. And just in case you weren't here, let me just quickly remind you. Roy Regal's 1929 Rose Bowl. He played for uh, California. They were playing Georgia Tech. And in the first half, uh, Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. And, and Roy Regals, who was an All-American, picked it up. But he had gotten turned around. And he ran in the wrong direction. One of his own teammates tackled him before he could sc score a safety for the other team. And he was so humiliated. He got in the – so he's in the, in, at halftime. He was sitting in the, in the locker room with a towel draped over his head. And he was crying. Coach said, all the coaches say at halftime, and he said, it's you know, time for the second half, and Roy Regal said, I've let you down, coach. I've let all the fans down. I can't go out there. And his coach said, get up. The game's only half over. This lady left her voicemail. She said, I'm nearly 82, and I've wondered why am I still here? And I heard you say the game's only half over, and I think God has stuff for me to do. You need to get up, because there are people who need you, and there are things for you to do. God wasn't through with Elijah. God's not through with you. You have things, there are people who need you. There are people who need you. We need you to, to get up. Even people, good people who've seen God do good things still end up under the broom tree having a hard time getting up. You, 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 may, you may be a really good person and heaping guilt on yourself. Stop, stop doing that. And you are not alone. If we could only know, if we could only know the stories around us. And people need you, for, so we need you to, to get up. In John 15, Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda where they believed the waters had healing powers. And he asked a crippled man an odd question. Do you want to be made whole? It wasn't a hypothetical question. It wasn't a rhetorical question. It wasn't a silly question. He wanted to know. Because some, some people get rather comfortable in our misery. Do you want to be made whole? You want to guess what Jesus' next two words were him were? Get up. When I say get up, I don't mean to sound calloused. I don't mean to sound insensitive or like I'm glossing over or not taking seriously the depth of your pain or, or the, the hurt of your wound. I just believe you can... Get up. God created you with a marvelous resilience. Children are so resilient. We see them in children's hospitals. And we wonder, how can they laugh like that? Because God gave them resilience. Family, their families fall apart and they bounce back because God gave them resilience. You still have that in you. You just have to awaken your capacity for resilience. But here's something more. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an Easter person. 
I want you to remember that on Friday, on that Friday afternoon, just outside the walls of old Jerusalem, Jesus died. He was as dead as those people in the back room at Laughlin's. He died. And his, his blood stained the rock and the, and the sand of Golgotha. And Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped his body up, much like we imagine a, a mummy being wrapped up. And they took his body and they laid, laid his increasingly stiff body on a cold, hard slab. And then they left because there was nothing else to do. And Jesus was dead. And then on Sunday morning, his eyelids flickered. And his heart began to beat as if shocked by a defibrillator. And, and lung, air filled his lungs. And then he <laughs> expired that air. And and if you'd been watching on the security monitor, you'd have had a heart attack because Jesus sat up. And if you were born again into his family in that rebirth, he wired into your DNA, that circle of that, that band of DNA that is you, in, born into you is resurrection. Not only do you have a resilience, you are, you are Easter people and you can get up. Five years ago, I told you the story of Valerie, a friend of ours from... Richmond, she was the minister of missions at uh, Bonaire, Bonaire, where I was pastor. And I, was, uh, I was at the beach when I got the call about Highland's death. Her husband, her rock, her everything had died. This was 2007. She was devastated. She let us chronicle her grief, letting me interview her. She talked about how hopeless she felt. She talked about how that the first time she laughed, she felt like she was somehow disrespecting the memory of Highland. But two years ago, she met, um, she met a man, Frank, who never had been married. He said he'd been waiting on Valerie his entire life. I talked to Valerie just before they got married th 13 months ago, and she was downright giddy. Two weeks ago, Valerie turned 60, and she posted on her Facebook the surprise party that her husband, Frank, had given her in the church fellowship hall, and they danced in the church. <laughs> he twirled me, she told me. I talked to her this week. He twirled me. I didn't know how to twirl. There's a time, Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. And it says, there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. And Leanne Womack sang, promise me you'll go give faith a fighting chance. And when you have to get the choice, and it is a choice, when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you'll dance. There is a time to mourn, but there is a time to get up and dance again. We're going to sing hymn 68. Find that, please. <laughs> 